Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to a special installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be going back and taking a look at 50 theories discussed on the channel over the last few years. From incredibly convincing and captivating all the way to complete absurdity, this list has it all. As this is a compilation-style video, please be aware of some varied audio levels and inconsistent numbering. Without further ado, let's dive in. 5. Avada Kedavra's True Purpose If you're any sort of Harry Potter fan at all, then you should be privy to Avada Kedavra, one of the unforgivable curses and one of the most powerful spells in the wizarding world. The three unforgivable curses are tools of the dark arts, and generally only used by the darkest and most sadistic witches and wizards. Avada Kedavra, also known as the Killing Curse, serves a simple purpose. It puts an end to the victim's life. If you want to kill your victim, then this is the spell to use, and it's known to produce a blindingly intense green bolt of light right before the victim simply drops dead. The biological reason for how the victim dies is not clear, but there are two existing theories. The first claiming that the victim's internal organs cease to function after being struck, and the second claiming that the soul of the victim is magically ripped from their body. There was a flash of blinding green light and a rushing sound, as though a vast, invisible something was soaring through the air. Instantaneously, the spider rolled over onto its back, unmarked but unmistakably dead. But with that introduction out of the way, I want to introduce you to one popular fan theory which suggests that Avada Kedavra was originally created for a totally different purpose. Now, it shouldn't come as any sort of a surprise to you that Avada Kedavra closely resembles the stereotypical magical words abracadabra, which we often hear magicians declare when they do things like pull bunnies out of hats. JK Rowling even admitted herself that this similarity was intentional. The theory in question suggests that Avada Kedavra, derived from Abracadabra, was a spell originally created to heal and not to kill. The words Abracadabra in the Aramaic language, the language spoken by the ancient Amoraeans, roughly translates to let the thing be destroyed. Theorists have suggested that the spell was originally created to kill viruses and bacteria, not people. 
But that once Wizardkind discovered its capabilities, its true path of death and destruction began. 4. Hedwig's Death We all know Hedwig as Harry Potter's lovable snowy owl companion, given to Harry's 11th birthday gift from Hagrid. Introduced to us right near the beginning, Hedwig stays by Harry's side for most of the books. That is, until her tragic death in the Deathly Hallows, specifically the Battle of the Seven Potters. From our perspective, Hedwig was simply killed by an unnamed, heartless Death Eater, but what one popular fan theory suggests is that there is more to Hedwig's death. The theory in question suggests two things. One, that her death had to happen, and two, that her death symbolized a loss of innocence in Harry Potter. If we think back to the Battle of the Seven Potters, then you should remember that everyone had taken Polyjuice Potion in order to impersonate Harry, making it impossible for Death Eaters to identify who the real Harry was. However, there was one big overlooked hole in this plan- Hedwig. You see, Hedwig, ever loyal to Harry, would always remain by the true Harry's side, which meant that during the battle, the real Harry wouldn't be too hard to find. The theory in question suggests that Snape, who was in company with the Death Eaters at that particular moment, killed Hedwig on purpose. With the best intentions possible, he did so in order to make sure that it would be difficult to identify the real Harry. 3. Trelawney's Prejudice Sybil Patricia Trelawney was born on the 9th of March sometime before the year 1963 to a muggle mother and wizard father. She was a half-blood witch and descendant of famous seer Cassandra Trelawney. After Cassandra, no one possessed the famous Second Sight, or ability to see visions. That is, until Trelawney. She wore thick glasses that magnified her eyes, and she spoke in a sort of soft, passive voice that could quickly change if she became upset. She was a very unusual and eccentric woman that conducted herself in an almost theatrical way. Given that Trelawney is one of the good guys, and not fighting for the side of Voldemort in the ongoing Wizarding World takeover, pushing for blood purity, it should come as a surprise to most of you that she was rather prejudiced. Let me explain. After being dismissed by Umbridge from her position in the Order of the Phoenix, it was on Dumbledore to hire a replacement divination professor, eventually filling the role with known centaur Firenze. When Umbridge left Hogwarts, Trelawney was reinstated, but given that Dumbledore wanted to keep Firenze on, they ended up having to share the role. This deeply angered Trelawney. Now, I can understand Trelawney's frustration with not wanting to share her job, but she was fired and Firenze had nothing to do with it. All he did was get hired, show up, and do his job. Sharing her position would mean that she would direct a considerable amount of hatred towards Firenze, hatred that almost made her seem prejudiced. She called him names like Dobbin and The Nag, or Dobbin as I prefer to think of him. You would have thought, would you not, that now I'm returned to the school, Professor Dumbledore might have got rid of the horse? But no, we share classes. It's an insult, frankly. An insult. She talks about Firenze with disdain in her voice, which is surprising given that she is a good guy and one of the key themes in Harry Potter is discrimination. What do you think? 2. The Origins of Crookshanks Before being adopted by Hermione Granger, Crookshanks the half-neasel ginger cat was just a cat in a pet store that apparently nobody wanted. We know that in 1993 he's purchased from Magical Menagerie by Hermione, going on to win her heart, as well as the hearts of many others. 
But have you ever wondered who Crookshanks belonged to before Hermione? One popular fan theory suggested Crookshanks, our favorite squished-faced cat, once belonged to none other than the Potter family. Supporting arguments are that he had been at Magical Menagerie for ages, he knew exactly who Sirius and Wormtail were in their animagus forms, suggesting prior knowledge, that he was, maybe, mentioned in a letter Harry found addressed to Sirius from his mum. Harry apparently almost killed the cat on his toy broomstick. This theory is a bit of a stretch as there isn't much to support it, but it sure is an interesting one and could technically work. 1. Snape speaks in code to Harry This theory centers on Severus Snape, Harry Potter, and one of their first encounters in Snape's first year potions class. More specifically, it involves a secret message that Snape may have relayed to Harry when they first met. Snape makes it very clear right away that he does not like Harry, mocking him as Hogwarts' new celebrity right before quizzing him on the spot about different magical herbs. There will be no foolish wand-waving or silly incantations in this class. As such, I don't expect many of you to appreciate the subtle science and exact art that is potion-making. However, for those select few who possess the predisposition, I can teach you how to bewitch the mind and ensnare the senses. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. Then again, maybe some of you have come to Hogwarts in possession of abilities so formidable that you feel confident enough to not pay attention. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity, tell me, what would I get if I added pounded root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? You don't know? Well, let's try again. Where, Mr. Potter, would you look if I asked you to find me a bazaar? And what is the difference between monkshood and wolfsbane? Pity. Clearly fame isn't everything, is it, Mr. Potter? At first glance, all this dialogue shows us is that Snape wants to bully Harry a bit. He's purposely asking Harry questions to which he does not know the answer. However, the theory that I want to discuss suggests that Snape's questions are actually relaying a secret message to Harry. However, it's not a message that he ever expected Harry to understand. Snape is a complex individual, and the message in question was simply for himself. Let's dissect Snape's secret message. His first question to Harry is, what would I get if I added pounded root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? And what's curious about this is that according to the Victorian flower language, asphodel is actually a type of lily. This lily means, my regrets follow you to the grave. And the second part of Snape's question, wormwood, means absence, which is symbolized by sorrow. Combined, this could be interpreted as, I bitterly regret Lily's death. And this is of course significant because Lily is Harry's mother, the only woman that Snape ever loved. Deep, right? To add to this even further, Snape's question even contains an allusion to his own death, as Asphodel was once believed to be a cure for snake bites, which of course Snape eventually dies from. 1. Harry's Children's Names In the epilogue, we see Harry sending his children off to Hogwarts in a familiar scene at Platform 9 and 3 quarters. At this stage of Harry and Ginny's relationship, they now have three children, James Sirius, Lily Luna, and Albus Severus. However, what stuck out to some fans were the choices that Harry had made for his children's names. He named his kids after people that were important to him, 
but there was a distinct absence of names of other notable figures in Harry's life, people like Arthur, Hagrid, and most related to this theory, Remus. The theory on the internet was that Harry didn't name his son after Remus because he thought that Teddy Lupin, Remus's son, might like to use the name for his own kids down the line. It turns out this was exactly right and was actually confirmed by Rowling on Twitter. 2. Dudley Dursley Dudley Dursley was the bane of Harry's existence, tormenting him for a large portion of his childhood, even when he would return home to Little Whinging solely for the summer holidays. However, on one visit in the summer of 1995, Dudley would have quite a wake-up call. After bullying Harry with his group of friends, the pair began walking home, and it's at this stage that they're brutally attacked by Dementors. Dudley is of course a target of the attack, and afterwards the book poses the following. Dementors caused a person to relive the worst moments of their life. What would spoiled, pampered, bullying Dudley have been forced to hear? This caused much speculation among fans, but the prevailing theory actually ended up being the right one, as it was confirmed in an interview with Rowling in 2004. My feeling is that he saw himself exactly for what he was, and for a boy that spoiled, it would be terrifying. 3. Magical Schools Hogwarts is the most famous wizarding school in the Harry Potter story. I don't think you could argue that. It's the school with the sorting hat, the Hogwarts Express, and the Whomping Willow. However, JK Rowling at one point revealed to the fans that other schools existed in the wizarding world, with fans immediately jumping to all kinds of conclusions about where these other schools might be. Just before the release of the Fantastic Beasts film, Rowling took to Pottermore to reveal that there are 11 unique schools for witchcraft and wizardry across the world. These schools include Ilvermorny, North America, Koldovsturets, Russia, Mahutukoro, Japan, Beaubaton, France, Hogwarts, UK, Castelo Bruchu, South America, Durmstrang, Eastern Europe, and Ugadu, Africa, as well as a few others that have yet to be named. 4. Hermione's Amortensia Encounter In the Half-Blood Prince, Horace Slughorn takes over as Potions Master, and it's not long after he accepts the position that he begins to expose students to all sorts of powerful potions. The potion in question here, however, is Amortensia. Amortensia is the most powerful love potion in the world. It is distinctive for its mother of pearl sheen, and steam rises from the potion in spirals. Amortensia smells different to each person, according to what attracts them. In The Half-Blood Prince, Hermione herself takes a whiff of the Amortensia, smelling freshly mown grass, new parchment, and one last thing which wasn't explicitly stated. Fans, however, strongly theorized that the missing smell, the one that Hermione wouldn't reveal, was in fact the smell of Ron Weasley's hair. This turned out to be true, and the reason it wasn't revealed was because it would have spoiled the build-up of their mutual attraction. 5. The Death Eaters are based on the Nazis Blood status is one of the most controversial aspects of the wizarding world, a concept in which wizarding families can be distinguished by the level of magically endowed family members. Generally speaking, people are slotted into one of the following categories, pure blood, half-blood, or muggle, and the different classifications of blood purity in the wizarding world actually act in a very similar fashion to race in the real world, which obviously leaves the door open for things like prejudice. For this reason, many fans were quick to recognize similarities between Voldemort and the Death Eaters, 
with a certain German leader and his own followers. These similarities, as it turned out, were not an accident, as the depressingly realistic depiction of comparable regimes was later confirmed by Rowling. I wanted Harry to leave our world and find exactly the same problems in the wizarding world, so you have the intent to impose a hierarchy, you have bigotry, and this notion of purity, which is this great fallacy, but it crops up all over the world. People like to think themselves superior, and that if they can pride themselves in nothing else, they can pride themselves on perceived purity. So yeah, that follows a parallel to Nazism. 6. The Baby in Limbo When Harry travels to the Forbidden Forest in Deathly Hallows, it's not long before he's struck down by Voldemort. The next thing we know, Harry's beginning to regain consciousness, and from here, he quickly realizes that he's no longer in the Forbidden Forest. In fact, entirely disoriented, he didn't know where he was. All he knew was that it was unlike any other place that he had been before. This place, as it turned out, was a sort of limbo. One of the most interesting aspects of Harry's visit to limbo was the ominous presence of a sort of baby, I use that term loosely, lying on the ground. It's never actually explained properly what this thing was, which obviously caused fans to speculate and theorize. The prevailing theory was that this thing was Voldemort, and fans turned out to be correct. I've been asked this a lot, it is the last piece of soul Voldemort possesses. When Voldemort attacks Harry, they both fall temporarily unconscious, and both their souls, Harry's undamaged and healthy, Voldemort's stunted and maimed, appear in the limbo where Harry meets Dumbledore. 7. Flying without a broom In the Wizarding World, we're basically taught to believe that flight is only capable with the use of a broomstick. However, in the seventh book, fans were thrown off, as Voldemort was suddenly described as being able to fly through the sky. This caused many fans to speculate and theorize as to why and how this was possible. The prevailing theory was that using a broom is just like using a wand, not always entirely necessary. As we know, using a wand allows a witch or wizard to channel their magic. However, if the witch or wizard is powerful enough, they don't always have a need for a wand. This is called wandless magic. I can only imagine that flying follows the same principles, with most witches wizards requiring a broom to channel flight. JK Rowling later states that all wizards have the power of flight innately, but that the vast, vast majority need a broom to achieve it. 8. Voldemort made even more horcruxes than we knew of A horcrux is an object in which a dark witch or wizard has imbued part of their soul. The ultimate purpose of creating a horcrux is to achieve immortality. There are only two known wizards who have created a horcrux, the first being Herpo the Fowl, and the second being Voldemort, who produced numerous. Voldemort is widely known to have created seven horcruxes, Tom Riddle's Diary, Marvolo Gaunt's Ring, Salazar Slytherin's Locket, Helga Hufflepuff's Cup, Rowena Ravenclaw's Diadem, Nagini, and lastly, Harry Potter. However, what many fans have speculated over the years is that Voldemort made even more horcruxes than we and Dumbledore were aware of. This theory was later confirmed on Pottermore, where it was revealed that Professor Quirrell was in fact a temporary horcrux and that Voldemort's presence in his body was corrupting him from the inside out. 9. Magic is genetic Very little is revealed in the Harry Potter story about the origins of magic. It's an enigmatic presence that seems to sort of choose some and not others. However, despite the lack of information on the topic, fans began to theorize what makes someone magical. 
Could it be genetic? As it turns out, that's actually true, and it was confirmed by Rowling. People who can practice magic have a magical gene. However, that certainly doesn't mean that the magical gene is restricted to those who already have it in their bloodline, as it can suddenly appear in both squibs and muggles. 10. The Cost of Hogwarts For centuries, the children of the magical world have been receiving their Hogwarts acceptance letters. The moment they come of age, they can expect a letter at their door, and the letter is symbolic in that it represents a new chapter in their lives. This letter, in essence, means that they will be able to attend Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, the world's finest wizarding school. However, after the series ended, many fans were still scratching their heads and wondering, how much does Hogwarts cost? There were many fan theories about this, ranging from scholarships to secret donors, but one of the prevailing theories was that the school was in fact free. This theory, as it turns out, was later confirmed by Rowling, who tweeted the following. There's no tuition fee. The Ministry of Magic covers the cost of all magical education. 10. Hermione and Ron were character foils for Lily and James Potter To get things started, the first fan theory that I'd like to discuss is the idea that Hermione and Ron were character foils for Lily and James Potter. What exactly does this mean? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's start with the backgrounds of Harry's parents, Lily and James Potter. Lily was a muggle-born witch who, from what we know about her relationship with Severus Snape, was compassionate and kind. She was also rather brave and intelligent, as supported by her replacement in Gryffindor House at Hogwarts, not to say anything of how she sacrificed her own life in her effort to protect her infant son from Lord Voldemort's killing curse. James, on the other hand, was a pure-blood wizard descended from a long line of magical ancestors. He was known to be somewhat hot-tempered, and not always the kindest in his youth. Again, these are things we've picked up from how he interacted with, or rather, how he bullied Severus Snape. But James was also incredibly brave and loyal to his friends, the Marauders. So what's the theory? Well, it doesn't take much to see the glaring similarities between Lily and Hermione Granger. The Muggleborn, extremely compassionate, remember her society for the promotion of elfish welfare, and fiercely intelligent witch and best friend to Harry. There are also many similarities between James and Ron. As you may know, Mr. Weasley also came from a long line of purebloods, lost his temper quite easily, and was one of the most loyal people Harry had ever met. Are these similarities merely coincidences? Perhaps, but I think it's more likely that J.K. Rowling saw them as character foils for Harry's parents, and used them to guide Harry through his years at Hogwarts in ways that his late mum and dad were never able to do. 9. Aberforth and his Thing for Goats Next up, Aberforth and his Thing for Goats Now, before the release of Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore, it had been mentioned that Aberforth, Albus's much gruffer younger brother, had been charged with performing inappropriate charms on goats. Theories and speculations ran rampant on what exactly this meant. How inappropriate were these charms? Does that mean what we think it means? Couldn't be, could it? Well, it has, in fact, been confirmed by J.K. Rowling that these inappropriate charms which got Aberforth arrested were exactly what we thought they were. What's more, Aberforth's odd obsession with the creatures is further supported by what we see of him in The Secrets of Dumbledore. Surely you noticed his keen interest in the chillin'. 8. 
Snape's opening lines to Harry are a coded statement about Lily Potter. There's been some debate back and forth between fans for years on this topic, so it's hardly a new theory, but it's just so bloody brilliant that I had to at least acknowledge it here. There was a fan, Tom Hiddles, whose theory blew up in many publications back in 2016, around the same time as the death of Alan Rickman, the actor who famously played Severus Snape in the Harry Potter films. Tom Hiddles' theory is as follows. The first thing Snape asks Harry is, Potter, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? According to Victorian flower language, asphodel is a type of lily, meaning, my regrets follow you to the grave, and wormwood means absence, and also typically symbolized bitter sorrow. If you combine that, it meant, I bitterly regret Lily's death. However, I've also come across the following argument that challenges the interpretation of Snape's first words to Harry. Reddit user by the name of Ted the Geek Atheos claims, Asphodel is a type of lily which was associated with death and graves in ancient Greece. Wormwood is also called Artemisia absinthium, which was commonly burned as a protective offering by the Greeks to their gods. What he was saying was, on Lily's grave, I promise to protect you. I go into this theory in more depth in my video on the topic of 5 Severus Snape theories, good and bad. I recommend you check it out if you'd like to learn more. 7. Azkaban was a way to contain prisoners and the Dementors After the introduction of Dementors and the Prisoner of Azkaban, many fans ruminated on the idea that the magical jailhouse was as much a prison for the Dementors as it was for the criminals being held there. Dementors were meant to be Azkaban's guards. However, it seemed like the perfect setup to keep these soul-sucking beings from wreaking havoc on the wizarding world. Well, JK Rowling has indeed confirmed this theory as being true. 6. The Dementors were more interested in Harry than other wizards On the topic of Dementors, did it ever seem strange to you that these creepy, ghoul-like creatures appeared to be a heck of a lot more interested in Harry Potter than any other witch or wizard? Well, the theory here is that that's because they were more interested in him. As a horcrux, Harry actually had more than just his one soul inside his body. He had his soul plus a piece of Voldemort's. Of course, this would mean that any Dementor who got to suck out his soul would get more than it bargained for, and it's likely that Dementors could sense this. 5. Ariana Dumbledore was an Obscurial As you may remember, earlier in 2022, I speculated that Ariana Dumbledore, Albus's ill-fated sister, was an Obscurial in my video, Who Killed Dumbledore's Sister Ariana? What Happened to Her? This theory cropped up as a result of what we had come to learn about Credence Barebone, the wizard turned obscurial in the Fantastic Beasts series. It was extremely exciting to have this theory confirmed in the Secrets of Dumbledore film, which came out just a short while later. 4. Dumbledore had more than one hidden agenda It's well known that Dumbledore was a wizard of many secrets. One in particular that nobody was very happy to learn about was that Albus had been hiding his agenda of raising Harry up all those years only to have him confront Voldemort and die. Even Snape was furious. But the real question is, what else was he hiding? Were there other plots and strategies that he was secretly masterminding behind the scenes? What else was Albus Dumbledore doing in the shadows in the name of the greater good? Well, there are a couple theories that touch on this. The first one is that Dumbledore knew that a life with the Dursleys might make Harry become an Obscurial. Of course, because Albus's sister, Ariana, had been one, 
he would have known all too well that this would have been a possibility. The theory goes that he took the risk, figuring that if it were to occur, at the very least, Harry would have been able to take on Voldemort with more intensity of power. There's also the idea that Dumbledore had secretly put a protective spell on Hogwarts so none of the students would die while he was headmaster. So many perilous dangers came to Hogwarts during the series, and yet Dumbledore never seemed particularly worried. What's more, none of the students that I can think of actually died while he was headmaster. The final theory within this theory is that Dumbledore intended for Harry to fail in his occlumency lessons with Snape in order to provoke Voldemort into misguided action. He was obviously quite aware of the tension and history between Severus and Harry, which makes it hard for me to believe that he thought putting these two together for these lessons was a sensible idea. But the notion that he may have done this on purpose fits much better into what we know about Dumbledore and his willingness to put Harry and others in harm's way in the name of the greater good. 3. Credence is a Dumbledore and a Prince? The heritage of Credence Barebone has been a topic of discussion since the release of the first Fantastic Beast movie. With the answer of who his father was released in the latest film, the question of his mother's identity still remains a mystery. Well, it is my belief that Credence could be a relation of none other than Severus Snape, for he could have been Eileen Prince, Snape's mother's father's cousin, or put more plainly, a secret son of one of Eileen's grandfather's sisters. I explored this theory in more depth in my video, Who is Credence's Mother? You should definitely check it out if you'd like to learn more. 2. Why Voldemort Looks Only Half Human This is one of the more gruesome theories on the list, but it's one that makes complete sense to me. The theory goes that Voldemort had to give up pieces of his own body in order to bind his soul to each physical horcrux. As he created more horcruxes and gave up more pieces of his body, his looks deteriorated. As you may recall, upon his rebirth, he had no nose, red slits for eyes, and pale grey skin. Who knows what else he was missing? 1. Harry was the master of death Our final theory of today, and my top pick for the best theory of the list, is that Harry was the unnamed master of death. Many fans were completely outraged when Harry simply snapped the Elder Wand in half in the final movie. This was meant to be the greatest weapon in the wizarding world. He shouldn't have been able to just break it with his hands like that. But Harry had mastery of the Elder Wand, and the Invisibility Cloak, and the Resurrection Stone, the three items named in the fable of the three brothers that, when held by one witch or wizard, would make that person the master of death. It's actually pretty straightforward if you think about it. An interesting note to make from this revelation is the idea that Harry may have only been able to return to the land of the living after Voldemort hit him with the killing curse because he was the master of death. This challenges the idea that he was able to return because Voldemort's curse only killed the Horcrux inside him, which I always took issue with. Number 1. Voldemort Possessed a Fetus this theory is certainly a crude one, and it essentially states that Voldemort's baby or rudimentary form that we see Pettigrew carrying around is the result of fetus possession. Let me explain. First of all, J.K. Rowling has been quoted as saying that the rough draft of the Goblet of Fire made her editor sick to her stomach. If this is the case, then this rather gruesome theory is likely the cause. It starts with Bertha Jorkins, who was a witch and Ministry of Magic employee. She was a few years ahead of James Potter, Sirius Black, Remus Lupin, and Peter Pettigrew when she attended Hogwarts. 
1994, Bertha Jorkins made the unfortunate decision to take a trip to Albania. As we know, Voldemort and Pettigrew were in Albania at this exact same time. Pettigrew, a former peer of Jorkins, convinced her to take a stroll with him into the woods. It was here that Voldemort, who was hiding in Albania at the time, tortured and murdered Bertha. As we know, in order to create a Horcrux, murder is necessary. So in killing Bertha, Voldemort was able to turn his snake Nagini into a Horcrux. This is where the dark and twisted theory comes into play. The theory is that when Pettigrew killed Bertha, she was actually pregnant and that Pettigrew took the fetus from her corpse. And it was this same fetus that Voldemort possessed and Pettigrew dumped into the cauldron to produce the regeneration potion. This of course means that the body that we see Pettigrew carrying around is nothing more than a possessed fetus and the unborn child of Bertha Dawkins. Possession is one of the darkest forms of magic and we know that Voldemort has mastered it, so it might just be a possibility. 2. Harry's Grandparents James and Lily Potter were murdered by Voldemort at the very young age of 21. So if James and Lily were only 21, it should be very safe to assume that some of Harry's grandparents would still be alive. JK Rowling has stated, and we've seen, that witches and wizards can live for a very long time, much longer than a normal human. So it always seems unusual that Harry wouldn't have a single grandparent. After all, he should have four. This theory, however, discusses Harry's lineage on his mum's side. The books have stated that both of Lily's parents died normal muggle deaths, without going into any detail. We know that they both died sometime between 1971 and 1981, because in 1971 they saw Lily off to Hogwarts at Platform 9 and Three Quarters, and in 1981 Lily was murdered. We know them to be dead at this point. It's unusual that they would have died in this time frame, and I'm really not sure what constitutes a normal muggle death. They weren't even old. What's a normal death? Cancer? Heart attack? It's really hard to say. Provided that all of the information we have on their deaths groups them together and that they were so young, I suspect some foul play. Lily and James Potter were both very outgoing witches and wizards, joining the Order of the Phoenix and actively participating in the fight against evil. This meant that they were very much on the radar of the Death Eaters. In the Harry Potter films, we've seen many instances of Death Eaters tyrannizing Muggle London and attacking Muggles, so why would Lily's parents be an exception? The theory is that because Lily was so prominent in the fight against evil, having defied Voldemort three times, she made her family a target. Because her parents were both Muggles, they would have had no means of defending themselves, and the Death Eaters could have visited them and ended their lives instantly. In a deleted scene from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Harry approaches Petunia and says the following in reference to the Death Eaters. They'll torture you. They think for a moment that you know where I'm going. They'll stop at nothing. To which he responds, You think I don't know what they're capable of? To me, this implies that Petunia knows more about the wizarding world than previously implied. She's initially painted as a little bit ignorant towards everything going on, but really, I think that she knows exactly what's happening, because she's experienced it before with not only Lily, but her parents as well. 3. Ginny's Love Potion Ah, Ginny and Harry, two peas in a pod, a truly beautiful couple, right? Well, wait until you hear this theory. The theory, put quite succinctly, is this. Ginny Weasley gave Harry Potter a love potion. The theory also suggests that Harry and Ginny only end up together for that reason, and for that reason alone. There are a few reasonably credible arguments for why this could in fact be the case, most of which I have rebuttals to, 
but for those, you'll have to watch my full video on this theory in the description. One of the main bases for the theory is that Harry seemingly fell for Ginny quite suddenly. Up until the point at which they fell in love, they weren't particularly close, nor were there any direct indicators that they would or should end up together. One moment, Harry is with Cho Chang, in another moment, film Harry is flirting with a waitress at Sweets Cafe, and the next minute, he's married to Ginny with babies. So how could Harry have become so quickly infatuated with Ginny? The answer, a love potion. The main supporting argument for this theory is that love potions have been historically used by the Weasley clan, maybe not for this purpose, but used in jest and in other less serious circumstances. The bottom line is that love potions have been used by them, and they certainly know how to make them. Ginny's own mother Molly admitted to using them in her youth, and Fred and George sold them, so their perspective on these types of potions can hardly be too severe. The love potion in question is called Amortentia, a powerful love potion that causes extreme infatuation or obsession from the drinker, not quite as romantic as we initially thought. 4. Dumbledore lets Sirius rot in Azkaban As we know, Sirius Black is imprisoned in Azkaban after he's framed for Peter Pettigrew's crimes. Sirius ended up spending 12 years in the island fortress before escaping. But one question that fans have always asked is, why was he kept there for so long? Why wasn't he bailed out? Why didn't Dumbledore bail him out? The theory here is that Dumbledore didn't want to. Dumbledore is portrayed in the books and films as being a skilled legilimens, which means that he's essentially able to read people's minds. He was also the chief warlock of the Wizengamot, which gave him access to Azkaban inmates. So my question is, couldn't he have easily just gone to Azkaban and found out the truth? Dumbledore's word was enough to have Snape's name cleared, so surely, if he had found out the truth, he could have done something for Sirius? Didn't he owe that to him? I think that the potential morbid reality of this situation is that Dumbledore knew that Sirius was innocent all along, but allowed him to be imprisoned in Azkaban because he felt that his imprisonment would be better for the wizarding world as a whole. Here's why. Sirius Black was Harry's godfather, and being so close to the Potters, would have likely taken young Harry under his wing after the death of his parents. If he were given a trial, I think that it's highly likely that Sirius would have claimed guardianship over Harry. I also think that it's particularly interesting that Sirius never got a trial at all, particularly as other Death Eaters did. It seems almost too convenient that he never got a chance to speak his case, as though one of his allies had persuaded the Ministry that he was sure of Black's guilt. Dumbledore but Dumbledore never wanted Sirius to rot in Azkaban for no reason. He had a purpose, and this purpose came down to baby Harry and what Harry would need to achieve over the course of his lifetime. If Sirius had taken guardianship of Harry, he would have never lived with the Dursleys, and though they were awful to Harry, it may have actually kept him alive. Because Aunt Petunia was Harry's blood relative, it was believed that Lily's act of sacrificial protection would continue on and be transmitted through Petunia keeping Harry safe. Though Harry would have been happier with Sirius, he could never have been as safe. Dumbledore didn't dislike Sirius, it was just that, in his eyes, his imprisonment was essential to secure the fate of the wizarding world. 5. Harry's Imagination Brace yourself, because this one has been floating on the internet for a long time and is a bit heartbreaking. I am of course talking about the theory that Hogwarts, witches, wizards, magic, wands and broomsticks are purely a figment of Harry's imagination. 
This theory is based around the idea that Harry, a downtrodden young boy, had to imagine and create his own reality, a world that he could escape to when his own world became too much to handle. If we go by this theory, the only real aspects of the Harry Potter universe are that Harry lives with the Dursleys and that Harry's parents are in fact dead. However, if the magical world never actually existed, then it would of course mean that Harry's parents weren't killed by the powerful Lord Voldemort. They really did just die in a car crash, as the Dursleys always told him. One thing is for certain, in both realities, the Dursleys are awful to Harry, and according to the theory, it's their nature that pushes him to the point of creating his own imaginary world. In the Harry Potter books and films, Harry is only left with the Dursleys because by staying with them, it meant that he was safe from Voldemort, the result of Lily's loving sacrifice. The only logical explanation for Harry staying with them in this other circumstance is that Harry simply didn't have other family. He had nowhere else to go. Orphaned by a horrible car crash that claimed the lives of both of his parents, Harry was forced to go and live with Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon. Oh, and we can't forget the awful Dudley. The Dursleys were truly awful to Harry, and I have no doubt in my mind that their behavior could push a young man who had already lost his parents to the point of, well, insanity, to the point of creating his own reality. The following passage from the book confirms that A, Harry had no other family, and that B, he dreamed and dreamed of his life changing for the better. When he had been younger, Harry had dreamed and dreamed of some unknown relation coming to take him away, but it had never happened. The Dursleys were his only family. Now that's a dark theory if you ask me. Hermione is Harry's sister. Oh Let's begin with a theory which I personally feel has very little merit. That is, the theory that Hermione is actually Harry's sister. As I mentioned in my video, five Hermione Granger fan theories ranked worst to best, this theory is almost entirely based on fans' feelings. Absurd, right? That's not a theory, my friends. That's just, well, a feeling. This theory is also almost completely debunked by the fact that JK Rowling has commented in the past on how she thought Harry and Hermione should have ended up together. I don't quite think Rowling would have made that comment should she have secretly made the two of them related. Hermione's parents were abusive. Another totally weird theory that revolves around Miss Hermione Granger is one to do with her relationship with her parents. Now, you may recall that I've discussed the idea that Hermione was possibly homeless for a certain point in time during the latter half of the series, but this theory further expands on that idea, claiming that Hermione purposefully erased her parents' memories in an effort to free herself from their abuse. That's right, this theory suggests that Mr. and Mrs. Granger were physically abusive towards Hermione. As the theory goes, this would apparently account for the large amounts of time that she spent with either Harry or Ron and the rest of the Weasley family throughout the holidays and breaks from Hogwarts. Points against this oddly dark theory include the fact that Hermione went above and beyond to protect her parents in the seventh book. She never showed any signs of abuse, and that when we meet her parents in Diagon Alley in the second installment of the series, there's nothing notably wrong with them. Obviously, the two lasser of those three points are a little on the weaker side, since abusive parents can hide their nature from the outside world. However, I think the first point is strong enough to disprove this theory, especially in combination with the other two. Hogwarts and magic, it was all a dream. Another theory that I have little love for is the one that, I'll admit, has been around for a while, but it's just so bad that I had to mention it. 
It's the theory that the entire series was all a dream that took place in Harry's head. This idea comes with serious flaws. To start with, the epic saga that is the Harry Potter series lasts seven whole years. Of course, I suppose it could be argued that a dream can span great lengths of time, so why not years? However, it's pretty difficult to argue with the fact that the Wizarding World has expanded to other characters, including different protagonists like famous magizoologist Newt Scamander. So, how would a dream transfer from one person to another with complete histories of the same universe intact? Simply put, it would not. The Dursleys and Harry Another theory that has cropped up a few times here and there is the idea that the Dursleys were only terrible to Harry because he was a Horcrux. That is, in the same way that Salazar Slytherin's locket made whomever was wearing it, while it housed a piece of Voldemort's soul, feel absolutely horrid, being around Harry made the Dursleys behave badly. This theory has so many flaws. First of all, if this was true, why was no one else in Harry's life impacted by the fact that he was a Horcrux? For example, wouldn't all of his friends, Ron, Hermione, Hagrid, have all also been totally rude to him if this was a real effect of Harry being a Horcrux? Second of all, the Dursleys were incredibly rude and terrible people to others, not just Harry. So pretty much, this theory is a bust. The Dursleys were just bad people. Draco Malfoy, son of Snape and a werewolf? There's also been a couple odd theories that have come to light about Draco Malfoy. One that I've come across recently was that some fans believe that Draco may have been Snape's illegitimate son. I've literally seen zero proof to support this. Not to mention the fact that Draco is the spitting image of his father, Lucius Malfoy. I've also stumbled upon the theory that Draco became a werewolf later in the series. While there is some speculated evidence for this theory, I'm pretty quick to discount it. Some fans have said that he may have been bitten by Greyback, who seemed to be living at Malfoy Manor near the end of the series. So I guess the bite could have accounted for the mark on Draco's arm rather than it being the dark mark of Voldemort's Death Eaters, as Malfoy himself claims. However, that all seems rather circumstantial, and there's just not enough there to support it, in my opinion. Snape was Harry's real father. Now, I just mentioned the idea that some fans have speculated that Snape was Draco Malfoy's true biological father. For some reason, theorizing that the perennial bachelor Severus Snape was secretly having illegitimate children all over the UK is a rather popular one. Which brings us to claims that Snape was actually Harry's real father. Now, as you may recall in the past, I've done a video on what if Snape had been Harry's father. But in all honesty, that was more a theory on how the relationship would have impacted the two characters for I truly don't believe Lily would have been interested in an affair with Severus. His choice to become a Death Eater was just too traumatizing and unforgivable to her. But if we forget all that for just a moment, the most convincing piece of evidence that disproves this theory is Harry's physical resemblance to his father, James. Sure, there have been some fans out there who suggest that Lily could have done some magical plastic surgery on Harry after he was born, but that just seems totally bonkers to me. Snape was to be godfather of Lily's unborn child. Along the same lines is yet another theory about Snape and his connection with Lily and her child, or in this case, unborn child. The theory revolves around the idea that Lily was pregnant at the time of her death, and if you've guessed that Snape was the father of this child, you would actually be incorrect in your assumption. For this very vanilla fan theory, 
claims that Snape was to be the godfather of James and Lily's unborn child. A rather boring thing to theorize about if you ask me, but hey, what the heck? Let's review what we know. This is as unlikely a theory as any, since there is absolutely no proof or evidence to substantiate that Lily was even pregnant at the time of her death. Furthermore, as just mentioned, there's no indication that Lily had reconciled with Snape at this point in her life. Never mind recovered a relationship to the point in which she would consider him a close and important enough figure to have him be the godfather to one of her children. Not to mention the historical tension between Severus and James. So even if Lily had forgiven Snape to the point that she was willing to invite him into her children's lives in such an important and intimate way, it's terribly unlikely that James would have been okay with this decision. Merope Gaunt was Credence Barebone's biological mother. Which brings us to the final bad theory of 2022, that Merope Gaunt, Voldemort's biological mother, was also the mother of Credence Barebone. As you may remember, I discussed this theory right after the release of Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore. As I mentioned then, this theory, while incredibly entertaining, is simply not possible, since Merope was born six years after Credence. Of course, this would have made it pretty difficult for her to be his mother, not to mention that the Gaunt family also resided in Little Hangleton, not Godric's Hollow, where Aberforth Dumbledore, Credence's biological father, was living preceding Credence's birth. 5. Hermione is Harry's sister Yes, you heard that correctly. This popular Harry Potter fan theory suggests that the boy who lived, Harry Potter, is in fact related to Hermione Jean Granger. I think we can blame George Lucas and the relation between Luke and Leia for this one. This is a messed up theory for many reasons, and it's completely logical, but let me entertain you with just a few of the main arguments for why and how these two may be related. The original theorist kicks things off by pointing out that Hermione's behavior with Harry is very sister-like, and that there is something unique about their friendship in an unromantic way. This point seems far too vague and provides zero evidence that the pair are related. Having a feeling that there is something unique about a relationship isn't supporting evidence for a theory. The next point made is that Hermione knew a lot about Harry before arriving at Hogwarts. Again, this piece of evidence isn't really significant at all. Harry was famous, his name was everywhere, and Hermione is the type of person to read up on things. Of course she knew about Harry, everyone did. Next, the point is made that JK Rowling has a tendency to describe physical resemblances between relatives in Harry Potter, but that Hermione was never described as resembling her family. This is one of the weakest arguments for this theory so far. There are many other arguments more or less on the same level as the ones noted above that support, I use that very loosely here, this theory. However, it seems as though the main supporting claim this theory boasts is that Lily and James may have had a secret child that they put up for adoption, Hermione. This is one of the worst theories I've heard, particularly as JK Rowling has admitted that she felt as though Harry and Hermione should have ended up together. 4. Hermione was homeless In the trio's last few years of school, the threat that was Voldemort and the Death Eaters seemed to be getting nearer and nearer, closer to home each and every day. The wizarding world was on edge, and people were beginning to prepare for the worst. 
a fully-fledged return of Voldemort, and a takeover of the Wizarding World. However, Voldemort's return didn't just mean bad news for the Wizarding community, it also, unbeknownst to them, posed a significant threat to Muggles and the Muggle world. Q Hermione and her parents Knowing that the danger would eventually stretch beyond the confines of the Wizarding world, Hermione Granger knew that she would have to make a difficult choice. She would have to decide whether or not she would wipe her parents' memories. Given that Hermione was a prominent figure in the fight against Voldemort, it made her a target, and by extension, her parents. This prompted her to take action, with Hermione eventually erasing her parents' memories. After wiping their memories, Hermione didn't return home until the threat that was Voldemort had been eliminated, which meant that close to a year went by before she eventually returned home. She was homeless. One Dark Potter theory suggests that Hermione was actually homeless for a lot longer than one year, wiping her parents' memories several years before 1997. This theory is supported by the fact that Hermione was always with either Harry or Ron during vacations. She spent her entire summers at either Grimmauld Place or the Burrow, not spending any time with her parents at all. After seeing writing on the wall that Voldemort was coming back, Hermione freaked out and, hoping to keep her parents as safe as possible, wiped their memories years before we had previously thought. Hermione is a smart girl, so acting in advance like this does make sense, but I'm not sure I totally buy it. 3. Hermione's Academic Excellence Now, it should come as no surprise when I tell you that Hermione is highly intelligent. In fact, in one of my videos where I rank the 10 most intelligent characters, I put Hermione at number 2. While studying, Hermione Granger was one of the most talented witches of her entire year, and the entire school for that matter. In fact, Hermione may have been one of the most studious and brightest witches to have ever graced Hogwarts. She began attending Hogwarts at the same time as Harry, Ron, and given her affinity for learning and knowledge, it's no surprise that she became a talented witch. She had a thirst for knowledge, and, through her dangerous adventures with Harry and Ron, became ready for anything and everything that came her way. She was well-rounded, competent, and a quick thinker, able to think critically under all kinds of pressure. Not only was she studious, she was just naturally very intelligent. Things came easily to her, and her inquisitive nature only meant that she stockpiled all manners of information. Okay, so Hermione is smart. What's the theory? The theory in question suggests that Hermione's excellence can be attributed to the addition of her muggle education prior to attending Hogwarts. In one of my older videos, I discuss all of the subjects taught at Hogwarts, 21 to be exact, and one thing that you may or may not know is that many basic foundational skills taught in muggle school are excluded. Hermione, however, went to muggle school and learned these excluded topics prior to her attending Hogwarts. Yes, some other students received a muggle education as well, but the theory boasts that Hermione's innate intelligence, paired with the rich foundational knowledge of core subjects, gave her the edge needed to become the brightest witch of her age. Compare that to Ron, who can't spell for toffee, and this totally reasonable theory completely checks out. 2. Hermione's True Bloodline as far as we know, Hermione Granger was a muggle-born witch born in 1979 to muggle parents Mr. and Mrs. Granger. According to canon, Hermione didn't realize that she was in fact a witch until she received her Hogwarts letter at the age of 11. 
Furthermore, Hermione was the first magical person in her family and went on to have two half-blood children with Ron Weasley. Blood status is one of the most controversial aspects of the wizarding world, a concept in which wizarding families can be distinguished by the level of magically endowed family members. Generally speaking, people are slotted into one of the following categories, pureblood, halfblood, or muggle, with the special term muggleborn referring to a witch or wizard with two non-magical parents. Hermione is a muggle through and through. This theory, however, is about to bust that wide open. In the sixth Harry Potter, Professor Horace Slughorn asks Hermione if she is related to a certain Hector Dagworth Granger, to which she responds that she doesn't think so because she is a muggle-born. So, who was Hector Dagworth Granger? Why, a wizard of course, a British one that founded the most extraordinary society of potioneers. This leaves one big question. Is it just a coincidence that he shared a name with Hermione? Is it impossible for them to be related? The theory in question suggests that Hector was one of Hermione's ancestors, and that there have been a long line of squibs, non-magical wizards born to at least one magical parent, in the Granger family tree. This would explain Hermione's parents visiting Diagon Alley, and might also explain the connection to Hector Dagworth Granger. An intellectually impressive ancestor does seem about right for Hermione. This one's a bit of a stretch, but the theory is sound, and I do quite enjoy it. 1. Hermione's Time Crunch Before we get into this one, let me explain time turners. Time turners are magical devices manufactured by the Department of Mysteries used for time travel. A typical time turner is operated by turning an hourglass, which directly corresponds to the number of hours that you can travel back in time. Traditional time turners are limited in that you are only able to travel back a maximum of 5 hours. In the 1993 school year, McGonagall gifts the time turner to Hermione so that she's able to attend additional classes. Hermione's immense workload finally seemed to be getting to her. Every night, without fail, Hermione was to be seen in the corner of the common room, several tables spread with books, arithmancy charts, rune dictionaries, diagrams of muggles lifting heavy objects, and file upon file of extensive notes. She barely spoke to anybody and snapped when she was interrupted. But did McGonagall really gift Hermione the time turner, or was it acquired another way? This theory challenges that. Though not particularly developed, this theory is quite an interesting one, and entirely plausible at that. It suggests that, rather than being given a time turner by McGonagall, Hermione stole the time turner from the Department of Mysteries with Dumbledore's help. The main support behind this theory is that in the Order of the Phoenix, when the trio visit the Department of Mysteries, Hermione seemed to already know certain things about the department, things that would require being there before. This might also better explain why a student was entrusted with a temporal manipulation device. Number 5. George Weasley is Willy Wonka This extremely weird theory connects the Harry Potter universe, written by J.K. Rowling, with the universe of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, another fictional tale written by Roald Dahl. However, this audacious theory certainly doesn't just loosely connect the two worlds. It actually suggests that George Weasley is Willy Wonka. The theory, put quite succinctly, suggests that George Weasley, after suffering the loss of his brother Fred, uses a time-turner to travel back to a different era, making a new life for himself. As we know, George and Fred were the closest of brothers, spending every waking moment with one another 
However, when Fred tragically passed away, George was at a bit of a loss for what to do next. Rowling even addressed the issue herself, tragically remarking that George would never get over losing Fred. With his business acumen, having successfully run Weasley's Wizarding Weezers, and vast knowledge of sweets, George travels back in time and starts a new life in the land of the Muggles, opening Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, sharing his wacky inventions and tasty sweets with the Muggle world. To add to all of this, George even appears to resemble Willy Wonka somewhat. This theory is a stretch and I'm not convinced, but it's definitely a fun idea, and a weird one at that. 4. Mrs. Norris is Filch's wife This theory discusses Argus Filch, Hogwarts caretaker and resident Squib, as well as his trusty feline companion, Mrs. Norris. Now, in the Harry Potter story, it's made quite clear that Argus Filch doesn't love a lot of things, makes the lives of the student body miserable, and exacts what little power he has at every opportunity. However, if there's one thing he does love, it's certainly his cat, Mrs. Norris, a dust-colored feline with piercing yellow eyes. The two are never apart, except for when they've temporarily decided to scout out different areas of the school, and they seem to have an almost quasi-telepathic connection, as they're able to communicate in spite of the fact that they are just, well, squib and cat. When Mrs. Norris encounters students misbehaving, Filch seems to show up right away, and vice versa. So, what could be the explanation for their complicated relationship? In 1992, when Mrs. Norris was petrified by Salazar Slytherin's basilisk, Filch first blamed Harry Potter, who was spotted right at the scene of the crime. Filch is visibly more upset than we've ever seen him before, and says in front of everyone, You killed my cat. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. While Filch is bitter and a bit hard to deal with sometimes, he's not usually so violent in nature, and this passion that he's exhibiting, to me, suggests that perhaps he knows Mrs. Norris on a deeper level. Perhaps he knows something about her that the rest of us don't. The theory suggests this. Mrs. Norris is Filch's wife. But how could a cat be his wife? Well, the simple answer to that is that she's a maledictus, that is, the sufferer of a blood curse which caused her to gradually and eventually turn in to a cat. This would of course mean that Mrs. Norris was once a woman, and not just any woman, Filch's wife. Again, this theory is a bit of a stretch and a weird one, but it certainly caught my attention. 3. Ron is Dumbledore Yep, you heard that right. The basis for this Harry Potter fan theory is that Ron Weasley, Harry's best friend, is in fact a time-traveling version of Hogwarts headmaster Albus Dumbledore. The primary arguments for this theory, and there are quite a few, are that Dumbledore seems to know everything that Harry and Ron did and are about to do, Ron and Dumbledore purportedly share some physical similarities, both being described as tall, thin, possessing a long nose that has been broken a few times, and large hands. Dumbledore also had red hair as a boy, which we know because of Tom Riddle's memory. Dumbledore has a scar above his left knee, and Ron received an injury to his left leg, possibly knee area. Both men are obsessed with sweets, and introductions to both characters involve sweets. Dumbledore sees himself holding socks in the Mirror of Erised, which relates to Ron Weasley not appreciating Mrs. Weasley's Christmas socks. However, one of the main drivers behind the theory relates to the Philosopher's Stone, particularly the chess match that Ron participates in in order to allow Harry to move on to the next challenge. The argument here is that the chess match is symbolic for the war between good and evil in the series, with Ron being representative of the knight, supporting Harry, and Dumbledore acting as king, controlling everything. Voldemort was able to save his memory in Tom Riddle's diary and was able to come back to the real world through it, so why couldn't Dumbledore achieve something similar? 
I'm not convinced that this theory has much merit, but it's certainly a weird one. 2. Rowling is Rita Skeeter Rita Skeeter was a British witch and infamous journalist in the Harry Potter story, who specialised in writing defamation pieces for the Daily Prophet. She was known for her poison pen stories, which she would base around false information and misreported interviews, writing what she believed people would like to read, whether it was real information or not. This theory, put quite succinctly, is simply that Rita Skeeter and JK Rowling are one in the same. After being fired from the ministry for being an unregistered animagus, a beetle, Skeeter escapes to the muggle world, where she publishes her stories as fictional works, eventually adopting the pseudonym JK Rowling. I like this one. Number 1. Dudley and Cho Theory And last but certainly not least, the weirdest theory on the list, the Chudley Theory. That is, the theory that Dudley Dursley ended up marrying Ravenclaw graduate Cho Chang. This theory came about for a couple of reasons, but the main driver behind it is that Cho Chang ended up marrying a muggle. That's canon, Cho Chang married a muggle. Furthermore, we also know that Dudley Dursley ends up getting married himself, but the name of his wife is never revealed. This is basically the entire basis for the theory, an unnamed wife and an unnamed muggle. We know Dudley Dursley is a muggle, and while it's unusual for witches and wizards to marry muggles, it definitely still happens. Often when a witch or wizard is courting a potential muggle spouse, they fail to mention their magical abilities, which causes tension down the line when their kids start performing magic themselves. The guilt eventually becomes unbearable, and they end up confessing their magical status to their other half. However, the years of lies are not often entirely understood. So, in this respect, the relationship between Cho and Dudley does sort of make sense. If Cho were to have married a regular muggle, then she would have no doubt encountered the aforementioned difficulties associated with muggle courtship. However, if she were to end up with Dudley, who is a muggle, there is the obvious advantage that she would never have to hide anything from him. Dudley was privy to the magical world, and there wouldn't have been much that Cho could have said to put him off or surprise him. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. Cho and Dudley? Dudley was about as awful as a young boy could be. However, there was a point in Dudley's life at which he hit a bit of a crossroads, the Dementor attack. Though the Dementors weren't able to successfully suck out Dudley's soul, the attack still had a profound impact on him, as it forced him to observe the type of person that he was. After the attack, Dudley certainly changed for the better. And Cho? Well, I can definitely see her vacating the wizarding world entirely after the death of Cedric, wanting an escape from the madness of it all. What do you think? Is Chudley canon? 1. Harry's Hallows What if I told you there was a connection between the Dursleys, a seemingly mundane, if you count out Harry's side of things, family, living in Little Whinging Surrey, and the fabled magical tale of the Deathly Hallows, which centers around three artifacts crafted by Death himself and the three wizard brothers who received them as gifts? Because as it turns out, if we really dissect Harry Potter lore and dive in deep, some may call it stretching, there is a connection here. The three Deathly Hallows from legend were the Resurrection Stone, a stone with the power to resurrect one's loved ones, albeit not properly, the Invisibility Cloak, a cloak that can turn the wearer invisible, and the Elder Wand, the most powerful wand in all of existence. But while these artifacts sound impressive on their own, you'd be hard-pressed to find a wizard more powerful than the one who possessed all three at once, a true master of death. Glancing back at the Harry Potter story, it's certainly not news that the Dursleys mistreated Harry. However, as it turns out, 
One particularly cruel act is noteworthy as it establishes a connection between the Hallows and Harry's Christmas gifts. Over the course of the novels, Harry receives three Christmas presents from the Dursley family, a 50 pence piece, a toothpick, and a single tissue. Harry also got a pair of socks, but it's important to note that these socks were a birthday present. What this theory suggests is that the 50 pence piece is a representation of the resurrection stone. The toothpick is a representation of the elder wand, and the single tissue is a representation of the invisibility cloak. What do you think? Was this easter egg planned by Rowling, or just a huge coincidence? 2. Harry's Horcrux Now, it's no secret that Harry and the Dursleys never exactly saw eye to eye, and 99% of the time, I think that you could argue that this toxic relationship is the fault of the Dursleys. However, one consideration that I had was that perhaps the Dursleys were influenced by the long exposure to Harry's Horcrux. I don't think that the Horcrux possesses the ability to completely change them as people, but perhaps it exposes and exaggerates their inner, darker nature. Despite openly treating Harry as if he was their lowly servant, punishing him in unthinkable ways, they seemed to really love each other and acted quite civil with other members of society. This makes me wonder, why did Harry incite such rage in them? We don't know a lot about Harry's relationship with the Dursleys before the Philosopher's Stone takes place, and we don't know how they treated him as a baby. Harry was left on their doorstep at such a young age, and I really can't see how, instead of mistreating him, they wouldn't have just tried to raise him as their own. This was a baby who had no preconceptions about anything at all, and they would have been able to meld this baby into someone just like them if they gave it a chance. They could have at least tried, right? Q Horcruxes As we know, Horcruxes can seriously affect people's behavior and makes them behave in a much more negative manner. This manner gets progressively worse the more that you are exposed to the Horcrux. We see this same sort of behavior in Ron when he wears Slytherin's locket around his neck in the Deathly Hallows. Over time, he becomes moodier and moodier, with each passing minute becoming less and less like himself. So, perhaps the Dursleys were affected to a lesser extent, the same way that Ron was affected. However, if Harry's Horcrux makes people angrier, you might argue that it would have had more of an effect on his close friend in the series. My argument for this is that in the Dursley household, Harry would have had the closest proximity to other people for longer periods of time. At Hogwarts, Harry would run around all over the place and had plenty of distance between him and others in his sleeping quarters. Additionally, perhaps the severity of the negative effect that Horcruxes give off is totally dependent on the person that's exposed to it. Maybe some aren't affected at all, while others are crippled by it. The Dursleys are just muggles, so maybe it was just too much for them. Maybe the Horcrux in Harry wasn't enough to affect magical folk. And that's it for this video. If you enjoyed the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember... It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.